All right. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate that. You can have a seat. Matt, was that a key change at the end there? That was a key change. Well done. Boy, we're, we're cutting edge these days, aren't we? Well done. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate you serving us in worship today. Uh, you about made me lose my voice, though, so we'll see how this goes. Good morning, Mount Helena Community Church. How are we today? Kind of packed the place out today. I appreciate that. Good to see a lot of you here today. I kind of thought uh, we might have the springtime snowstorm blues, but it looks like you brave the weather, so appreciate that. If you're a guest with us this morning, I'd like to welcome you. My name is J.R. Quigley. I am the senior leader here at Mount Helena. And um, if you want to learn more about the church, we have a welcome packet for you out there at the Welcome Center. So it'd be great, great uh, information for you. Uh, you should have received an email from me this week. Um, if you did not, um, we have a program called MyMHCC. It's our scheduling uh, program. It's our database for all the members of the church and all those kinds of things. Um, if you are not uh, a part of that, you did not receive that email from me. If you wanted to, fill out a Connect card and just mention on there, I want to get a, uh, on the email list, and uh, we'll be sure and get you set up on that. But I sent out an email preparing us for the summer, uh, a number of different things. First of all, as you are probably, most of you already aware, I am going to take a two-month sabbatical, and next Sunday will be my last Sunday here for a couple of months. Um, you know, we, it's really important to get rest. You know, Jesus, or God, when he created the world, on the seventh day he rested. He set an example for us to do that. Every so often, the holidays that he gave the Jews and, and the feasts and stuff, he, he wanted them to rest. It's a time to honor God and, uh, and, and to rejuvenate, refresh, and that's what I need to do. I need to spend some time um, uh, quietly <laughs> and uh, getting some vision and passion, hopefully, uh, for the next season. So I will be uh, starting on that after next Sunday. I won't be available on cell phone or email or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, a lot of all that's going to get forwarded to the office. But hey, we got a great staff. You guys, people, and great elder team. You shouldn't hardly notice that I'm gone, and uh, so things will be plugging along as usual. So I appreciate your understanding in that, and I appreciate your prayer in that because I could use it. it. Looking forward to that time. Uh, yesterday, we got to minister to our high school seniors, laid hands on them, pray for them, had some prophetic words come for them. It was outstanding. We appreciate the prophetic team and how that went. Um, if you missed out on that, it was quite a blessing for them and a very exciting time. Um, we, I, I don't think it's too early for me to kind of sow the seed in your head about small groups next fall. Uh, small groups are a very important part of a vibrant uh, uh, church life. It's where we connect as individuals. We can't all get together on a Sunday in a room like this with this many people and really get to know people all that well or uh, speak into each other's lives and minister to one another in every way that's possible to us. So we have small groups for that. And just appreciate if you would consider leading one in the fall. We do kind of a free market system most of the time where it just is based on your interest, what you would like to lead. If you'd like to lead a Bible study, if you'd like to lead a, I don't know, a hunting video 
group, whatever it is that interests you, that you can get fellow believers and friends together to encourage and strengthen one another in whatever ways. It's a very important part of the life of the church. And so I encourage you uh, to be considering that this summer. I know it, summer's going to fly by, and uh, fall will be here, and we'll be like, wait, I was thinking about maybe doing a small group. I'll start thinking about it now. And, and if you'd like some input on that, talk to our community life pastor, Jason Harris, and uh, he can give you some direction on that. With um, a couple of other quick house cleaning things here before I get into my message. Um, you know, with the COVID situation, uh, it's just a strange time <laughs> and challenging in many ways. But one of the things that I wanted to bring your, to your attention is that our volunteer situation really took a hit uh, during that time. And, and, and we've cut back on some things and trying to make things continue to function with uh, the volunteers that we have, I would just ask you um, humbly to consider uh, volunteering in some way, serving in some way. It's not just about filling in a gap. It's about becoming an owner and becoming a part of the family and becoming a part of the family operation around here and, and really getting involved because you have something to offer, whether it's something as simple as you know, Marv out there shoveling the snow this morning, you know, something very simple way to serve all the way to worship team and things like that. Uh, we, we want people to get engaged and be involved in some way. And, and so I would encourage you, if, you know, as, as it seems like the seasons are shifting, uh, I would encourage you to, to consider again whether or not uh, you should be getting involved in serving in some capacity around here. We want to we build community. We want to live the mission, and it takes everybody to accomplish that. So I would encourage you to be considering that um, as we go through the summer. Last thing I want to mention is we're doing a clothing swap. So uh, one of our young ladies here in the church, part of our youth ministry, uh, Nora White, had this uh, brainchild idea to do a clothing swap. So what we're going to do is we're going, you'll have the opportunity to uh, contribute clothes that maybe you don't wear anymore, uh, or maybe you've outgrown or things like that so that other people in the church might have an opportunity to go through those and, and maybe we do some trading. And, and just looking at some of your fashion, I think I could use some of your clothes. So that would be great if you'd like to contribute to that. Uh, so we're going to be taking in clothing over... Uh, particularly beginning uh, the 31st. We have a bin out there at the south entrance. You can drop stuff in there. But we're going to, uh, after the 31st, we're going to put it out front. Even do, while the building's locked, you can drive by and drop them in the bin. It'll have a lid stationed out the south entrance here. And then on June 6th, after the services, you'll have the opportunity to go through whatever's been brought in and pick up some stuff you need for yourself or your kids or maybe somebody you know. And everything that's left over when we're finished is going to be donated to local charities. So it's an opportunity for us to, to serve one another and those kind of things. So don't be shy. It'll be fun. It's garage sale season anyways, so let's do it. Clothing swap. Looking forward to that. So there's more information about that out there on the bulletin board. There's a flyer out there, so you could take a look at that. Sound good? You already have some stuff in mind? Are you judging my fashion right now from your seat? Some of you are like, he wears those shoes every Sunday. And I do. <laughs> All right. They're my preaching shoes. Uh, if you want to get ahead of me, you can go to Acts chapter 1. We're going to... 
There's lots of content in these passages we're going to cover today, and we're not going to dig into all of it. We've been talking about the apostle Peter. Peter, who Jesus called from being a fisherman to walking with him in his ministry. Peter, who was often kind of a one to speak up first, sometimes putting his foot in his mouth. And, you know, then we looked at Peter on the night that Jesus was betrayed and they began his trial and his crucifixion. Peter disowned Jesus. He denied him. He abandoned him. Even though he said he never would, he still did. But then Jesus is resurrected from the dead and he restores Peter. And we're talking about Peter. We have lots of information and lots of stories about him, but really in our recent messages, we're talking about Peter with an eye on how, how am I Peter? <laughs> Do I see Peter in me, in the, in the mistakes he made, in his successes, in his, how much he loved Jesus, but how much he screwed up? Is that part of my life too? And we all can identify with these characters in the Bible. These are real people that had real lives. Peter was a fisherman. He just had a real job. And Jesus came along and, and said, hey, follow me. And he, and he, I mean, can you imagine even doing that? It's just an extraordinary life. We look at these these characters in the Bible sometimes, and we put them in these mythological categories, like somehow they're unrelatable ancient mythology. But in reality, this wasn't very long ago in the big scheme of things, and these are very real people with very real lives. And so we take instruction and encouragement and provocation when we look at their lives and see the things that happened and how they lived. So Peter, Peter denied, but Peter was restored. And today I want to talk, talk, start talking about Peter stood. Peter stood. So after he had fallen, and after Jesus picked him back up, Peter began to stand up and answer the call of God on his life. And so we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 1. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He's spending about 40 days ministering to his followers. And we pick up the story in verse 1 of chapter 1. By the way, the book of Acts. Acts was written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Okay, and so he references here that he wrote an earlier work, and that's what he's talking about. Uh, in the first book, O Theophilus, being his gospel, and who he's writing to, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them, Jesus is giving instruction to his disciples, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, quote, this is quoting Jesus, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven, and he's instructing them, wait This power is going to come. Whatever you believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, it did happen at this point in time. This is a definite instance in which it happened, and and Jesus promised them that it would happen. And so they're, they're, you know, they they don't understand everything that's going to happen because we see, we go right into verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, 
Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They had something on their mind about the nation being restored, and, and, and they expected Jesus to become the literal king, and we've talked about this in recent weeks, uh, and, and they're still kind of unclear on exactly what's going to happen. And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This reminds us of, of what Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. It's why we talk about living the mission around here. Jesus gave us a mission before he left. And this recording in Acts is reminding us of that. You are going to be, I'm going to clothe you with power, and then I'm going to have you be my witnesses. You're going to testify about who I am, not just in the city of Jerusalem where all these events were taking place or the regions around, but to the ends of the earth. And today, you sitting in these chairs is that happening 2,000 years later. We're still making disciples of all nations. It's something that when it, when it happened and when it was launched that we're going to look at in a little bit here, it has been carried forth with momentum for 2,000 years. Isn't that amazing that you today, right now, are a part of that? It's amazing what God has done. And Jesus said, just wait. Wait in Jerusalem. You will be clothed with power, and then you're going to go and do the mission. You're going to be the people. You're going to make the disciples. That's what he called us to do and who he's called us to be. Each and every one of us. Again, I want to remind you, we, when we're reading these stories, we're drawing inspiration and understanding for ourselves today based on what has happened in these guys' lives. God wants to clothe you with power. God wants you and I to be his witnesses in whatever way to the world around us, whatever circumstances we find ourselves, by our life, by our example, by our words, by our kindness, by our compassion, by our grace and our mercy for people. We're carrying on this message of Christ, and he empowers us to do so. And when he had said these things and they were looking on, he, being Jesus, was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will also come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And even today, we hang on to that promise that as Jesus ascended into heaven, he will return. We look forward to a day when Jesus returns to the earth to fulfill the plans of God on the earth. But they got to see that moment when he left. I, don't, I wonder what that was like. It was amazing. There's artwork and stuff out there, but I just, I, I don't know. It would just be an amazing thing. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. I want to skip ahead to verse 14. So they're in this period of time waiting. It's been 40 days since, since the crucifixion and the resurrection. And um, they're coming up on a feast called the Feast of Weeks or Passover. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But we're in that little narrow window of time in between. And I want to start with verse 14. All of these were with, in, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Very cool. Mary was there and Jesus' brothers were there and they're praying and they're preparing. And then I want, really want to focus in right here. In those days, 
Peter stood up among the brothers. So did Peter physically stand up? Yes, he probably physically stood up. But what does that mean that he stood up? Surely lots of people stood up. We stand up all the time. You'll stand up when you leave here today. Why are they drawing attention to the idea that Peter stood up? Because Peter stood up into a position of leading the people. And he begins to lead. So this Peter that had disowned Christ and denied him, even though he said he would never do it. Jesus restores him, says, I want you to feed my sheep, Peter, three times. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And Peter, here we are in this moment in time. Jesus is gone. He said to wait. They're waiting. They're praying. Peter stands up. Peter stands up. He starts to take his position. I think it's so important. We might, I might not be Peter, and you might not be Peter. We're not one of those 12 apostles. We don't have the same role as him. We didn't see the same things. But every single one of us has a place in this kingdom. And I wonder if we're standing up to what God has called us to do and be as an individual and corporately. Every single one of you, God is, he, he, he loves you, and he's instilled things in you, and he wants to make you a part of that mission that witnessing all over the world. And we are witnessing when we serve kids in children's church, and we're witnessing when we're at work, treating people well. We're witnessing in all kinds of ways all of the time. God has empowered you to do that. I wonder, can we look at Peter and go, am I supposed to stand somewhere and be someone or something? This is a fairly small situation, if I could put it that way. It's not small, but compared to some of the things Peter later did, it seems like not that big of a story, but I thought it was interesting that Peter stood up. You just, the scripture draws attention to the idea that he took his place and he began to lead. It says the company of persons was in all about 120, and he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit spoke. Well, how does Peter begin his leadership of this group of people? He begins with the word of God. He begins by recognizing the authority of scripture, declaring that God's words had to be fulfilled. Peter is, he's, I don't know if he understood it, but he's starting, he's setting an example for every one of us that might stand up in our lives by saying, let's start with the word of God. Let's have this foundation for whatever we're going to do, be the word of God. He stands up and he says, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David, interesting, concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us. Okay, Peter is deciding that, okay, the scripture needs, had to be fulfilled, Judas had to betray Jesus, that it would be fulfilled, and, and it says another must take his place. So this is what we're going to do, guys. We're going to choose somebody else to take Judas's place. Who led that initiative? Who stepped into his calling? Who's beginning to show who God has actually called him to be? Peter. And his example to you and I in many different ways. You know what they do? They put two guys forward and and they cast lots to see. I just find that so funny. You know, that they, they basically rolled the dice to decide who was going to be the next apostle. I, I find it actually kind of relieving. That some things they weren't sure how to decide, and so they, they, they went for it. Maybe we should do that. Who preaches next week? We'll just roll the dice. Oh, we've done that before, actually. I guess I better tell you. Really quickly, we had giant pink furry dice. Remember on Sundays, 
And we did this for about three weeks just for fun. Rolled the dice to see who got to preach that week. All right, never mind. It was fun. They cast lots to see. They left it up to, to God in a time and chance situation. Just, I don't want to create some theology out of that, but I just find it like comforting because I feel like that sometimes. I don't know what to do, God. Just make it happen, whatever it's supposed to be. Sometimes that's the way it is. But Peter led them in that. So we just see this inkling of Peter's future. Peter stood up. Peter started to take charge. But see, Peter wasn't empowered by the Holy Spirit yet. I want to skip up to chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. What is the day of Pentecost? Oftentimes we understand that from a Christian perspective. Yeah, it was the day the Holy Spirit came. But it actually was something before that. What was it? I want to take us down a brief uh, instruction on some feasts, okay? Just don't, don't, don't check out. This is really actually very, very fascinating. When the Jews were rescued from Egypt by God, and he brought them out of Egypt and into the wilderness, and he gave them his commandments and all of his word, he also instructed them to celebrate some things or have these feasts or festivals. Okay, and so uh, most of you probably know the story. If you don't, you're going to have to go dig a little bit further because everything I say might not make entire sense. But when they came out of Egypt, they sacrificed a lamb and they put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. And the angel of death came over and killed the firstborn of everyone that didn't have that blood on their doorposts. A lamb gave up its life, shed its blood to protect, to rescue the people from death. You know where I'm going with this? They called it Passover. And God said, uh, celebrate this Passover with this meal. Have the Passover meal. And so they, they would do that. And the very next day, they would have a feast. Uh, and it, it was over a number of days. And if you're an expert on this, give me some grace, okay? I'm just giving you the cliff notes, all right? This stuff actually got very complex, what they did. But, but the next, they had the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so they, God used leaven to... Um, illustrate sin and so you get the leaven out of the house and out of the bread and it was demonstrating that get the sin out of your lives get the sin out of your lives and remember that by this unleavened bread and that God provides for you etc etc or other things and then the day after that was the feast of first fruits and it was a celebration of barley harvest and and they would and and they they would celebrate that and First fruits is, is a theme we see in the Old Testament. I can't get a lot into it, but the idea that the very first you honor God with, the first of your crops, the first of your livestock, the first of, of your children, you honor God with them, that, that God has blessed you. And, well, then we, we fast forward to Jesus' time. On, on Jesus is the, the perfect lamb, the lamb being sacrificed on one day, and he dies. And the next day, he, he's dead, but there's a forgiveness of sins has come into the world. The leaven is going out of the world, right? And on a third day, he rises. He's the first, uh, firstborn of all of us that will be resurrected someday. He's the first fruits. He's the deposit. He's the one who's gone before us in order to see these things. So, so you see, even though all these feasts were recognizing something from uh, the past that God had done for his people, it was also foreshadowing and telling us about the fulfillment of it that would be Christ himself. So Jesus has, in his death and resurrection, fulfilled these first three feasts. But then, 
50 days later, 49 days after the Passover, seven weeks, they called it the Feast of Weeks because it was counted off an exact number of days from the Passover. Well, this exact number of days from the Passover and from Jesus' crucifixion is this Jewish holiday called Pentecost, five, meaning 50. It was 50 days from the Passover. You see the correlation here between Jesus' death and resurrection and the early feasts, and now here we are coming on to the day of Pentecost, another festival. You've got people from all over the world in Jerusalem. It was part of the instruction that if you were an able-bodied Jewish male, you went annually to these different feasts in Jerusalem if you could get there. And so you've got people from all over the world in Jerusalem during this time. It's the day of Pentecost. So when it says the day of Pentecost arrived, it was, it was those 50 days after the Passover. It, you know, Jesus had been with them 40 days after his death and resurrection. About 10 days had gone by. Here we are on the Feast of Weeks, the Passover day. All right? Okay, we nerded out for a bit. Is everybody okay with that? That's good stuff. And it's actually very amazing uh, how much detail and in depth God has gone to illustrate what he has done for us in all of these different things. It's amazing. And it, it, what it does is it encourages your faith. Do you know what the, uh, you, have you seen these things on the internet where they go through the statistical probability that one man could fulfill all these hundreds of prophecies? There's like hundreds of zeros on the end of the number. I mean, you just, it's virtually impossible. And yet Jesus has, in, has fulfilled all of these amazing things that we see in the Old Testament. Don't discount the Old Testament. It's very, very helpful for building your faith and giving us instruction about who God is. Okay, we're moving on. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So th this event suddenly becomes very public, okay? This rushing wind comes. These guys are speaking in other languages. A big crowd in Jerusalem is gathering around going, what is going on? And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans, these guys are speaking in tongues? How is it that we hear each of us his own native language? So in this case where, where the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, these guys are speaking in known languages. God has empowered them supernaturally. And it's astounding to all the people. And they go on and they list it. Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. That's a lot of people. <laughs> Lots of different people. They hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed saying, what does this mean? It's a supernatural, it's a wonder, amazing moment in history. And they're hearing these tongues as these guys are speaking them. Verse 13, but others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. They're drunk. They've been drinking already this morning. They're making fun of them. 
I think if it's hard to say exactly what I I think the most important thing to hone in on here is, but these next two words and first two words of verse fourteen, but Peter, but Peter. So this moment has happened. The Holy Spirit has come into the world in a powerful way. A huge crowd has gathered. Some are just amazed and perplexed, and some are mocking. And you can kind of imagine, what do you do in a moment like that? What do you do when that, all that's, that chaos is going around? Somebody did something. Who was it? But Peter. We'll get on with the story in a little bit, but I just want to pause here and think about something. How many moments in our lives, I just think of some key people or key moments in my lives and in my faith journey that had such an impact because somebody said something, because someone stood up, but so-and-so, but so-and-so said something, but so-and-so stood up, but so-and-so ministered to me, but so-and-so honored me, or so, whatever, so-and-so <laughs> challenged me, rebuked me. But Peter, of all the people in the world, this was Peter's moment. But Peter. Uh, just think about that. What about you? What about the moments in your life where you're meant to be that person for someone in some way? But Caleb was there. But Tate. You know? Wow. Is there a moment in someone else's life where they can say, but you? But you stood up. But you said. But you were there. This is one of those moments. All this is going on. And the scripture says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Peter rose to the occasion. And guess what now? Peter has just been empowered. The Holy Spirit has now come. And Peter is able to stand and do something amazing. Just think about this moment. Jesus has spent three years preaching and teaching, and lots of people gathered, and people would listen, and then people would leave because something was hard. And when it came down to the end, there weren't all that many people there. 120, it says here, that were gathered at this particular company of people. I mean, nobody could preach like Jesus, right? Surely that's the case, and I think that's true. But something in the world changed when the Holy Spirit came. And Peter was empowered, and he stood, and he said, Men of Judea and those who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. <laughs> Pretty confident. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And Peter goes on to preach a very powerful message. But what does he begin with? He stands, he puts himself in a position of being willing to do it. The Holy Spirit is with him. But what does he lead with? This is a lesson for all of you who ever preach. The word of God. The word of God is what Peter relies on as authoritative, as proof or evidence. It's what he is using to describe and determine what the current reality actually is. He goes to the word of God. He doesn't, he doesn't rely on his own analogies and things like that. And those are all good. And he has his own words in there. He has his stuff. That's great. But what has he planted himself on? The word of God. 
And he goes on to preach this message. He preaches out of Joel that the, that the scripture is fulfilled here, that, um, you know, your, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams, young men see visions, etc. He's saying, this is fulfilled today. And then he goes on and he talks about Jesus' life. And I want to focus in here, particularly just for a second, on verse 22 of chapter 2. He said, he's talking about Jesus and he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. You already know this, you guys. Jesus was just here for three years. You heard his teaching. You saw his miracles. You've heard the stories. We are witnesses of that thing, of that event. Keep in mind, these guys, a lot of them probably witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus. There had to be a lot of people in Jerusalem at this point in time, by the way. And some of these people likely were a part of it. And he's preaching this, and so we realize these people know this isn't all brand new news to them, but they've just seen yet another amazing miracle with these tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming on the church. Peter goes on, he's preaching, and, and we get to this, you know, he's quoted from the Psalms, he, he talks about Joel, he's talking about the crucifixion of Jesus, and we get to verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. He's kind of calling them out. He's challenging them. But what's interesting here, I'm just amazed that I don't see this phrasing elsewhere, but after Peter's message, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You see, I, I think that when the Holy Spirit came and, and this power is moving, it, you know, the word of God is going out along with the Spirit of God, and these guys are convicted. Why was there not all this conviction before? You had Jesus there for three years performing all of these signs, teaching all of these amazing things, amazing them over and over and over. But when the Holy Spirit comes and Peter, an average guy, gets up and preaches this message, he partners the Spirit of God with the Word of God. They come together in a beautiful uh, message that changes lives and grants them repentance. You know, the Bible says of itself, the Word of God, first of all, it's alive and active. It goes out like a sharp sword, right? Discerns things, etc. But it also goes from God and does not return to him void. It does something. And when Peter, under the power of the Holy Spirit, delivering the word of God and telling the story, it cuts them to the heart. Peter has stood in the power of the Holy Spirit and spoken something that cut to the heart, caused repentance, caused them to go, great, what do we do now? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. For the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and your children and all are far off. It's something that, that, that Peter, he just went way beyond what he had ever done. How did he do that? He is now empowered. Now, is Peter the only one that the Holy Spirit was given? Is he the only one who is meant to walk out his calling and power? Is he the only one who is meant to stand and be who he's supposed to be in the kingdom? No, that message is for every single one of us, you and I. 
In what area of our life do we need to stand? And I don't mean stand in a self-willed, arrogant, self-righteous sort of attitude. I'm talking about rising to the occasion of what God has called you to do or be, even in the simplest ways. And the littlest things that may seem insignificant to you, it's the gift of God on your life and the calling of God on your life. And just like Peter, we want to stand in that. And we can reflect just like Peter could. Peter could look back on his life and go, I disowned Jesus. I abandoned him in the worst moment. But he restored me and now I can stand in this power and with this word and be who he's called me to be. That message is for you and I to stand. Peter had the prescription. He had the answers. It says, and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation in verse 41. So those who received his word, not everybody did, But to those who received his word, they were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I wish I would love to see that. I'd I'd love to go back in time and be able to see what was that like? When the day the Holy Spirit came, it was such a powerful work that Peter was able to play his part and see the church launched into its mission. The Great Commission. Why? But Peter. But Peter stood. Peter filled in that gap. He was the man for that moment, for that situation. You are the person for a certain moment or a certain situation. Someday someone can say about you, but so-and-so was there. But so-and-so stood. But so-and-so ministered the word of God to me. But so-and-so prayed for me. But so-and-so helped me. Is so-and-so you? But you. There is a third time that Peter stood, and I'm not going to go into it today. And I don't want to make any kind of theological statements about that or anything, but I just found it very interesting that there are three times that Peter stood. Three times he denied. Three times Jesus told him to feed the sheep and restored him. And and three times after that, Peter stood, and particularly in the last two, he changed. He had such a huge, huge impact on the world for those moments that he stood. Would you stand, please? I hope today, in all of this, what are are we learning? I mean, there's so many things. There's so many, these passages are just rich with many different things. And we could talk more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in tongues. We could talk more about uh, all these different situations and and that kind of thing. But, I think it boils down to when we just look at Peter, which is what we've been doing, it's a great story of restoration and uh, power. The power of the Holy Spirit and what God did in his life. And that same path for every single one of us. I would encourage you, seek him. Invite him to be a part of your process. Get the word of God in you. So when that moment comes, the Holy Spirit can bring it and use it in whatever way he wants, whatever situation. Be like Peter. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that you give us. If a dad, if a son asks his dad for a fish, would he give him a snake? 
If he asked him for a loaf of bread, would a father give him a stone? Even though we're evil and can still give good gifts, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Jesus said. Lord, I pray that you would lead each one, wherever they're at in, in their journey. Lord, from, from brand new believers or non-believers or uh, people who have been believers for 50 years. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be encouraging them and empowering them to stand in their calling. Lord, to embrace who you've called them to be, whatever to whatever degree that is. Lord, that you would include us in your mission is a privilege and an honor. I'm so glad to be a part of it. And every one of us is like Peter. We're so broken in so many ways. But you've had great mercy and grace upon us. And you'd still use us. Father, I pray that that encouragement would be in each one of our hearts. Lord, we honor you today. In Jesus' name, amen.